we don't take enough time sometimes just to wait before the Lord and bring our concerns to him. So I, I pray you were encouraged by that. And uh, God really loves us. He really cares for us. In fact, I believe he's more willing to meet us where we're at than we're willing to seek him. But the songwriter said, humbly would I seek your face. God always hum, uh, honors humility. He always, a broken and contrite spirit, he will not cast out. And so I encourage us as a church family, let's keep turning to the Lord with every burden, every need. Thank you for uh, also listening to the word of God. I want to thank Pastor Sean too. I've just been so blessed going through this book of Acts. There's so many rich truths here. And I feel the message today out of the narrative of Paul's life also is bringing us to a place of a very important message. And uh, in our culture today, I think it's safe to say that people are struggling with this question. What is truth? What is truth? I mean, what in the world can you believe anymore? You know, where do I turn for truth? You know, the internet gives us access to just endless volumes of information. But how do we know what's true there? Uh, our society has wrestled with the idea of objective truth. Fifty years ago, postmodernism became popular. And uh, it, it really objected to the idea of there's any objective truth. The feeling was, well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. So truth was uh, not objective. Now some believe we're actually in a post-truth era that people might actually acknowledge something is true, but they will su uh, subordinate that to how they feel about it. <laughs> uh, author uh, Abdu Murray in his book entitled Saving Truth says this statement. Listen to it. The creep of post-truth is seen in how we gather information about the world to conform to what we want to be true not to what is actually true. That's really scary, you know. I will just, this is what I want my truth to be, and I'm just going to gather information to support that. Now, we might think, uh, church, that this is a unique struggle, that these are unique days that we live in, but I want to point something out to you. This is not unique. The struggle with what is truth is as old as, as humanity itself. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and part of his interrogation went like this. Are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Same question, 2,000 years ago. How ironic that the answer to Pilate's question was standing right in front of him. Standing right in front. Truth it was personified in Jesus Christ, but he was unrecognized and he was rejected. Friends, I want to suggest to you that Pilate's spiritual blindness is symbolic of a world that even to this day will not or cannot acknowledge Jesus Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. By the way, Jesus said for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into this world. I, I might be uh, thinking more like a theo theologian but I see the humanity and divinity of Christ there. I was born, 
but I also came into this world <laughs> as the eternal second person of the Trinity. Okay, that is uh, no extra you know, charge for that. You just can have that little piece of truth. But the main point is this. There is truth. Jesus said he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. So however confused the world is, however messed up it is, there is truth. He, he came to bear witness to it. That means that God not only has truth, that truth comes from God, but he has provided witnesses to that truth so that we might believe that truth. And Jesus, of course, is the foremost and greatest witness of the truth. But as we've been studying the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul as someone who is one of God's primary witnesses to the truth. He's traveled extensively. Let's just review a little bit. He's, he's had three missionary journeys. He's traveled. It's taken several years to do so. And as he's traveled, he says, he preaches to Jews. He goes into synagogues, but mainly to Gentiles. And he has this message. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. God raised him from the dead. Believe this good news and you'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be given the gift of eternal life. That's what he's been doing everywhere, going place to place. And three realities have emerged out of that. First, God's power is at work to change people's lives as that truth is preached. That truth is preached and people's lives are being changed. And that's only by God's power. Secondly, opposition against God's work repeatedly rises up over and over again. We've seen that pattern, right? Thirdly, I want to remind you, but through it all, God's truth abides. See, none of, it, none of the opposition changes the truth. I've entitled this message, God's truth abideth still. I'll explain the archaic usage of the word abide a little later. God's truth abideth still. Lord, I pray that you will give us grace to hear this message today and to hold on to the truth that you have revealed to us. Because you are the source of truth. And I pray that everyone, help them to have attention today. There's nothing flashy in this message. There's nothing that's going to wow them but I pray, God, that the reality of the truth that's being expressed from your word and from the example of Paul's life would grip our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first point I want to make to you today from this message is simply this. God's truth abides despite opposition and persecution. We're going to see this in the story today. And I, I, you've probably noticed that this is a lengthy passage, uh, about two and a half chapters. So I want to rest assured that I'm not going to preach verse by verse today. Obviously, I'm going to uh, summarize a little bit and highlight certain aspects of this text. I encourage you to read the whole story because it's fascinating what happens to Paul. So we're picking it up. Uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. You remember that those had told him, don't go there, Paul. Don't go. You're going to face persecution. They're going to bind you. And Paul says, don't break my heart. I'm willing to die when I go to Jerusalem for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going. God wants me to go there. And so when he first arrives, this is chapter 21, verse 17, he first greets the believers there, and uh, it goes very well. Look at verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This is the half-brother of the Lord, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And all the elders were present. 
After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. What a thing to say. I was, we were looking for a place of prayer, and we went down by a river in Philippi, and there was a woman there named Lydia. God opened her heart, and she became a believer. And one story after story, he's telling them what happened, what happened, what happened. And they, they glorify God. But the leaders tell Paul of a complaint that some of the Jewish believers have against him. Verse 21. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now this accusation is not true. It's really a misunderstanding of what was agreed upon for the Gentile believers. But can I just caution you about something in the church? Would you please beware of spreading misinformation? in the church, about others in the church? Can we be humble enough to say, I may not know all the details of this situation. I'm going to wait. It says they had been told about you. That means somebody told other people inaccurate information about Paul. Friends, this is this, nothing new under the sun, okay? If you think this kind of thing is a problem in the church now, it was a problem in the early church. It's not hostile, but it's a problem, and it's misinformation. Don't do that. In an effort to counteract what had falsely been said about Paul, the elders asked him to show his support for some men who have taken a Nazarite vow, and Paul did this. He went into the temple with the men. He paid the offering required by the law for them, and it's sowing solidarity, and that he's not opposed to the law. But while he was in the temple, Paul was confronted by another group. This is an unbelieving group of Jews from um, Asia. And things take a drastic turn for the worse. Look at the end of verse 27. Jews from Asia, seeking him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. There was a court of the Gentiles in the temple area where Gentiles were allowed to assemble, but they couldn't go past that point. And they're saying, Paul brought this uh, Gentile into this holy place set apart for Jews alone. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune, the Roman uh, general, so to speak, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. These Jews from Asia probably were from the area of Ephesus where Paul ministered for three years. They probably opposed him there. But now they're in Jerusalem and they're trying to stir up reinforcements against Paul. And that's exactly what they do. And I, in this story, notice how truth is opposed. Notice what comes against truth, what works against it. False act, uh, exaggerations. They exaggerate greatly. Paul everywhere, all people, telling them not to do the... Okay, exaggerations. Lies. Is, a, is the enemy of truth, obviously, okay? You said, Phil, I came to church for the pastor told me lies is the opposite of truth. But it is. But here's what it is. It's based on false assumptions. Ah, that's where we get tripped up. 
See, he brought Greeks into the temple. That's a lie. They had seen Paul with Trophimus in the city, and they supposed. They created a story, a narrative that, for the truth they wanted to believe. You see? It's a warning to us. Friends, rumor, gossip, exaggeration, lies, false assumptions, these are all enemies of truth. Don't be involved in them. Don't be involved in them. Because whenever you and I would enter into that, it always leads to snap judgments and overreactions. And that's exactly what happened here. They came to a snap judgment. They overreacted. They dragged Paul out of the temple They're intending to kill him. They're beating him in the street. The word gets to the Roman uh, tribune, and he comes with reinforcements. Look at verse 32. He, the Roman tribune, at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. I don't know how long it took him to get there. But Paul's, once again, getting beaten up. Then the tribune came and arrested him, Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two two chains. This intervention saved Paul's life, no doubt. And the Roman tribune is trying to ascertain who this guy is. Why is everybody stirred up? He decides to bring Paul into the barracks, out of the crowd, and they they take him up the steps, and uh, when they get to the steps, the soldiers actually have to carry him because of the beating. This text says he he needs assistance to go up the steps. He can't even walk up the steps. I want to just pause here for a moment. Hear me just a second, church. God's truth not only finds opposition in the world. God's truth, as painful as this is, finds opposition from false religion. People who hold on to traditions that are not anchored in Scripture and who actually love those traditions more than they love the truth of God's Word. Jesus met with them, talked with them, and at one point gave them this rebuke, the religious leaders of his day. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Can I just say this to you? Uh, This should cause all of us, especially who've been raised in the church all your life, a little bit of pause here. Uh, Sometimes this is as simple as just a Christian culture that may not be rooted in Scripture. It's not really harming anybody, but it can go much beyond that. Uh, that people don't really know how they're saved. They think uh, an affiliation with a church means I'm right with God. Or I've become a member of a church and I'm going to heaven. Uh, But listen, these things aren't true. To be religious and yet far from God is a very scary thing. And you know, today even, there are many within Christianity, so to speak, who are leaving the moorings of historic Christianity and pursuing doctrines and redefining things of our faith that really are not Christian at all, but yet they're keeping the title Christian. And uh, the truth of the scriptures they deny, changing the meaning of the cross. It, It really is a promotion of a false gospel. Our Bible study is actually going through a book now called 
another, uh, another gospel by Elisa Childers who talks about this whole issue. I, I could recommend the book to you. Ask me about it later. But it's really a defense of historic Christianity, the truth that we have passed, been passed on from generation to generation, how it's being attacked and how she got anchored into uh, finding the real thing. Friends, three heirs have been th present throughout all of human history and they're still with us today. These are the three heirs. Self-deification, which says, I will be my own God. Self-identification, I will define my own identity. And self-determination, I will decide my own truth and morality. Those things are still with us today. That was present in the Garden of Eden, folks. Okay? These attitudes were in the Garden of Eden. God's truth was opposed when it was spoken by the prophets. God's truth was opposed when Jesus spoke it. God's truth was opposed when Paul and the apostles preached it. And God's truth is being opposed even to this day. But listen to this. No opposition to the truth or persecution of the truth has ever changed the truth. And it never will. God's truth abideth still. The second point I want to make from this passage that we learn is that God's truth abides through his faithful witnesses. God's truth abides through his faithful witnesses. As the physically beaten Paul is carried up the steps, he makes a surprising request of the Roman tribune. Verse 39 at the end, it says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he, the tribune, had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. I try to put myself in a scene in the Bible. Do you ever do that? And just try to imagine what this would have been like. And I am having so much uh, difficulty. It just moves me. This is a crowd that just beat him, would have killed him had not been intervened by the Roman uh, soldiers, by the Gentiles that <laughs> saved him. And as this, the Roman tribune is taken out, he says, please, please, let me speak to the people. What? Who does that, friends? Get me out of here. Get me away from these people. I want nothing to do with these people. Friends, I can just say to you, this is the touch of God. This is God's love. This is the spirit of God in a man who would act this way. Let me speak to them. They don't understand. It's the same spirit that Jesus Christ had when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These people don't know what they're doing. Please let me speak to them. Let me try to explain to them. Man, I'll tell you what. How different is that from the spirit that's in the world today? Even those who have truth. Who don't approach it with humility and empathy with other people. But are proud and the words sting. Even if they're proclaiming their truth as they put the other person down. That's not Paul's heart. That's not God's heart. 
God isn't rejoicing when people reject his truth. He's sad. He longs for people to repent. And that's the spirit here. And Paul starts to talk to them. He starts about his life before he became a follower of Christ. Look at verse, or chapter 22, verse 1. He addresses them as brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I make to you. When, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, probably Aramaic, which most of the Jews spoke then, they became even more quiet. <laughs> I take it that the Roman... Uh, um, Tribune could not understand what he's saying. That must, I just keep thinking of this Roman Tribune. Like, this guy is like, what am I dealing? How, do how do you govern a people like this, you know? How, how do you, what in the world? So Paul, in the quiet, this whole crowd gets hushed. And he speaks to them. He tells them of his Jewish heritage, his education in Jerusalem under the uh, very respected uh, teacher Gamaliel. And then he says this, he was... Uh, verse 3b, he was zealous for God as all of you are this day. I used to be like you, Paul, uh, people, he says. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Paul says, in effect, I'm no better than you. I know where you're at today. I was there too. I thought I was doing God a favor by putting believers to death and imprisoning them. I was, I was right where you are. It just reminded me that as we share truth today, can we remember that we're all sinners? All of us have been where other people are today who have yet to receive Christ. We've all gone, we're like sheep that have gone astray. Try to remember what your life was like before Christ. Have some empathy with people. And then he shares his conversion and commission. Look at verse, uh, I believe this is six. It says, as I, was on, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Uh, it's interesting that to me, anyhow, that Paul's conversion story is told three times in the book of Acts. It's, uh, Luke explains it in chapter 9. Here Paul goes through his story. He's going to tell King Agrippa the same story in chapter 26. He's going to go through. You know, do you think God wants us to really get this? That the key to the, the real Christian life is having light from heaven come upon you. It's not about a religious tradition or strictly following a catechism or taking a class. It's that the light from heaven, Jesus Christ himself, comes and, and, and you encounter that. Well, we encounter it like Paul did. No, you know I'm not saying that. Uh, but Jesus is the light of the world. We're going to be celebrating Christmas here. Uh, and Pastor Sean's going to preach on that, kind of that theme. Jesus, the light of the world. And, and it's true. At his birth, what, what, what was present? Light. The light of the star. The light in the heavens when the angels announce his birth. He's the light of the world and his light still comes into human hearts. That's how you become a Christian. God, you encounter Jesus Christ. And he, he invades, he kind of comes to you. You might be feeling him today. I don't know who you are. 
You might be feeling a warmth. John Wesley, the Methodist pastor, said he was just sitting reading an introduction to the book of Romans and he felt his heart strangely warm. God comes into your heart. He, He approaches you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Have you put your faith in him? Has he come into your heart today? Receive him today if you haven't. You may be religious. You may have been gone to church for years, but you may not really know him. He loves you. Friends, Jesus himself is the good news. Jesus himself, his life. He's the, he's the theme of all scripture. Do you realize that? He's the, scream, he's the theme of all scripture. I like how Pastor Alistair Begg says it. He says in the Old Testament... Christ is predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he's preached. In the Epistles, he's explained. In the Revelation, he's expected. (laughs) He's everything, folks. He's everything. Christianity is Christ. Well, the last part of Paul's testimony, starting in the 21st verse of Acts 22... Paul shares a vision that he had received from God about his special mission to preach to the Gentiles. And the people had listened to him fairly patiently up to this point. But when he mentioned the Gentiles, the crowd erupted again. Folks, racial tensions aren't new. It's not new. Jew and Gentile in this day, the hostility was there. Uh, political difficulties are not new. The people were under oppression of a Roman regime. There's all kind of tensions. I didn't share the part of the story where the centurion or the uh, tribune actually says, aren't you the Egyptian, Paul, who led a group of guys out in the wilderness, the, the sons of the assassins or some kind of... He, he was even mixed. He thought this was some kind of political thing. There's all nothing new under the sun. But when they heard about the Gentiles and his mission, the crowd erupts again. And it becomes chaotic to the point of a riot breaking out again. Can you imagine this, tribu- this Roman tribune probably not understanding anything? There's all this quiet that all of a sudden the crowd just goes crazy. Grab him, grab him, let's go. They take him into the barracks and he, his plan is I'm going to beat the truth out of him. I, I'm, I've had it with this guy. So they chain him up and they are about to beat him. And it leads me to the last and final point. God's truth abides because of his providence and his sovereign grace. God's truth abides because of his providence and sovereign grace. Do you know what Paul does at this point? He says, actually one of the other soldiers finds out Paul is a Roman citizen. And under Roman law, someone cannot be flogged, beaten, Actually, they can't even be arrested without proper channels, much like in our own country currently. And you certainly can't be, be a Roman can't be, beated, be beaten without a trial. And so word comes to the tribune, this guy's a Roman. You can't do this. What are you about to do? 
Isn't it just like God who moves providentially in our lives? Paul was born a Roman citizen. Do you think that's too big for God? <laughs> I don't. In fact, the, the Roman tribune himself had to buy his Roman citizenship. He said, I bought mine with a, with a large sum of money. You're a Roman citizen. How did you become a... He says, I was born a Roman citizen. The luck of birth. <laughs> the luck. And we see this over and over again, that Paul, God is providentially moving. So instead of flogging, the tribune takes him before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of, and I'm going quicker now, I'm summarizing. You read it all, okay? Read the text to see what happens. But they take Paul between, before the Sanhedrin. And I believe God providentially uses the division between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who are two different groups making up that ruling council. And he uses the division between them to help Paul. And he brings it to Paul's mind. The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural and eternal life and so forth and the resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees did. And Paul said, I am a Pharisee and I'm on trial here because I'm preaching about the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> you know? And then next thing you know, well, the Pharisees going, he's not that bad. You know, they're on his side. And then the Sadducees are going, what? And it starts to get violent again. And here's this Roman tribune again going, what in the world? It gets so violent that he has to take him out. I, I can't believe it. And there's a key verse that night. Jesus Christ appears to Paul. And I want you to hold on to this because it, it shows that God is a providential God. He works providentially. He orchestrates circumstances to accomplish his purposes and this is by his sovereign grace. And by the way, he'll work that way in your life. He'll help you. He'll move providentially if you'll follow him and trust him. Verse 11, chapter 23. The following night the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. How comforting that would be to Paul. It's not ending here. <laughs> it's not ending this time. Now, he's got a long journey to get to Rome. But God is saying, in effect, Paul, take courage. I'm in charge here. I am moving providentially to carry out my purposes. You've testified. And what did he testify to? The facts about me. Friends, Jesus Christ, this is factual. Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, I can't even explain it. You got it. You got it. The rest of the passage, we see more of God's providence. A plot is arranged, you know, or hatched up to kill Paul. You read about it, but it comes to the ears of Paul's sister's son. I'm thinking, who? We don't have in the Bible any relatives of Paul mentioned except here. His sister's son. So his nephew overhears of this plot to ambush Paul when he's being transferred. And so Paul, he comes, this nephew comes and tells Paul. Paul says, go tell the tribune. And the, the tribune hears of it. And so he plans to move Paul out of Jerusalem to a safer location, Caesarea, outside of all this fire keg of, of uh, hostility. And he, he, Paul is transferred at night with 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen guarding him. 
You think God can work out your problem? <laughs> he can work out your problem. He'll be with you. And I, I don't mean resolve it necessarily. Nothing's resolved yet for Paul. He's still a prisoner. He's going to Rome as a prisoner. But God is with him. God is with you. God, God will be with you. Friends, God's truth abides because of his providence and his sovereign grace. I say all this today just to encourage you. Stand in the truth. Seek the truth. Young people. There is truth. I encourage you to hold on to it. When people bring it into question, I'm not saying you can't have doubts as a young person. There's people in the Bible who had doubts. But I'm telling you this, don't feed your doubt, feed your faith. Don't feed your doubt, feed your faith. Examine whether these things are so. People for 2,000 years have faced what you're facing today and what we're facing. And there have been people that have held on to the truth and have given witness to the truth. And God has providentially allowed his truth to abide. We're going to sing a song as we close that was written in 1527, thereabouts. I wanted to sing something old so that you know <laughs> that we're not talking some radical thing here, something new is happening. It happened back in 1517, a German priest named Martin Luther, wrote his 95 Theses, which called for the reform of the Catholic Church, primarily over the practice of the church leaders selling indulgences. And he posted these on the door of the Wittenberg Church. Luther felt that the church officials were teaching people that they could literally buy their way into the kingdom of God. Or, at the very least, buy God's favor. And that people were being led to believe in false man-made doctrines. His stand for the truth led to his excommunication and threatened his very life. His life was always in danger from that point. But it also helped to lead to the Protestant Reformation which affirmed these five truths. Scripture alone is truth. Salvation is by grace alone. By faith alone. Through Christ alone. For the glory of God alone. About 10 years after posting those 95 theses and with his life under threat, he wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The lyrics that we're about to sing contain these words. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It was true in 1527. It was true in AD 37. It's true in 2020. Hold on to the truth. Let me pray. Father, we uh, are so thankful that you are the truth. That in this world that's so hard to discern what truth is, Many religions claiming truth, many, uh, just many sources of varying conflicting views, and 
we can have an anchor today that our, our faith rests in truth. And it rests on you, Jesus. Paul gave this creed in the early times of the church. I believe the creed was before even it was written into Scripture. It was being circulated. I give to you what I've also received. This is of first importance, Paul said, that Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again for, according to the Scriptures. And he appeared. He appeared. And Lord, that's the truth. And I, we hold on to it today. And I pray that we would be people who seek the truth that are anchored in the, the Word of God. No matter what people say about the Bible, Lord, there's so many reasons, internal evidence and witness of people that we can hold on to this as the truth. And most importantly, Jesus, you affirm the Old Testament uh, as, the, as the entire Word of God. And, and we know that, that the New Testament has been... The, the process of that being canonized and being uh, uh, acknowledged as God's uh, word has been something that we can hold on to. I pray for all of us that we would be people who hold on to the truth. We love you today. Thank you for being our rock. Uh, let us be your witnesses, Lord. Your, the truth always is, uh, abides through faithful witnesses, and we want to be those people. We want to be like Paul. Give us empathy for people not a harshness, and, but yet, Lord, let us stand for truth. May Hope Church always stand for truth, God, in these days where it's assailed. And, but God, no opposition, no persecution will ever change the truth because you are the way and the truth and the life. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.